as I said last week, and I will repeat this week, um, there's a big problem with uh, a big issue, a big potential problem that could happen when I when coming at these verses in particular, but with the the topic of of talking about homosexuality, um, because the fact of the matter is is from an oral standpoint, you guys will probably hear about 50% of what's said. And then about 10% of that 50% will actually stick into your being. You'll think about it. You'll walk out the door being affected by it. So like 5% of what's said today will be taken out the door. All right? Which is really dangerous in this culture that we find ourselves in with this battle of gay marriage, homosexuality, culture, church, all these things. It's really dangerous. Um, so what I want to ask of you is to put a real solid effort in today to get above that 50% and above that 5%. All right? Can you do that for me? Um, because it's, it's a big deal. And, and the misuse of the scripture that Megan just read is a great example of that. We're going to talk in just a second about the, the, the I don't, I'm going to choose a word carefully here, the bad way in which the, the translators of Scripture decided on chapter breaks. We read, and, and when we come to this topic, from this standpoint, we read Romans chapter 1, and we'll talk more about that as we go along. And it's all about bad, awful stuff, like unnatural passions and, and desires and all these things. And we'll talk about it in a second. And then we, we end because it stops at the end of chapter 1. I'm, okay, that's, we studied Romans 1. And then tomorrow we come in Romans chapter 2, having forgot or having remembered about 5% of what we just heard in Romans chapter 1. And so we break them. But Romans chapter 1 cannot exist without Romans chapter 2. And as a result, our stance for or against homosexuality or for or against gay marriage can't stand without 1 and 2 coming together. And that's kind of the point of where we're headed today. But I want to give a a bit of of foreshadowing for us. Where we wind up today, if if this were a a, a television episode, an hour-long TV episode, the first five minutes... If I was the producer, the first five minutes of what I want to show you is this. Everything that's said today is centering around the kindness and forbearance and patience of God, which is meant to lead us to repentance. And I want to change, I want to take license with the Greek language, license with the Greek translation into the English language, and say it's not just repentance that kindness, patience, and forbearance are leading to, but instead transformation of who we are. That's probably a better translation for the word repentance. You've heard me talk a lot about repentance. It's, a, it's an essential, an essence change of our minds and our spirits and the way we think and the way that we act. That's what repentance means. And so in this context, it's probably better spoken as transformation. We're transformed. So the grace and repentance of God... I'm sorry, the the grace and forbearance and patience of God is meant not to get us to heaven alone. It is, 
but not alone. It's also meant to transform us here and now in the way that we interact with this world, the way that we interact with God, and the way that we interact with each other within and without the church. All right? That's where we're headed in. That's, we're going to talk about homosexuality, and I'm going to call it point blank a sin today. And, and I, I want to show you in Scripture where it says that and, and other things. But ultimately, where we wind up is there. So here we go. Let's, let's strap in here and, and get to, to Romans chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. We're going to look at those verses first. Uh, they're going to be on the screen, but I'll give you a second. If you want to look at, at your Bible, sometimes as we attempt to learn and connect with Scripture, I know we have stuff up on, on the screen all the time, the verses on the screen, but I want to invite you and even encourage you to, to open up your Bible. If you learn that way, if you connect that way, do that. Because as I'm talking, you might want to go back to a particular verse uh, that's not on the screen. But I want to engage. I want us really, the point of, of every time we, we gather together and Dave or I stands up here and talks to you. The point of it is to engage the word of the Lord. That's why we're here this morning. So let's get to the verses 22 through 25 and, and see what it is that God is saying to us through the pen of Paul, the author of Romans. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. That, that verse always just kind of strikes me. Because I've, I've studied a lot of scripture and, and I think that I've kind of got a, a handle on it. And I've been taught by some brilliant people and whatever. And so I, I put myself in that category, claiming to be wise, there's a chance that I've become a fool. If, so if, if you come to scripture thinking you know what it says, you are raising your hand that I'm, I may be a fool. So let's be careful how we proceed with what's written here. Verse 23. They became fools by exchanging and exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, so because they did that, they exchanged the glory of God for images of mortal man. Because of that, God gave them up to their lust, to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is kind of speaking about what we talked about last week. We talked about what the heart of sin was and what the, the root of sin is basically having a craving for the created rather than the creator. Go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Eve was told she wasn't supposed to have the fruit of this one tree by God, by the creator. But she had a longing, a desire in her that made her want to listen to her longings and her desires and the created more than the creator. And thus sin was born. All right. And the result of this is a broken world that's, that's filled with gluttony and rape and abuse and brokenness and in everything. It's everywhere and in everything. There's brokenness as a result of us seeking after the created rather than the creator. All right? And that's the root and the heart of sin. Matt Chandler, we, we quoted this last week. He said, so now instead of being drawn to the creator, we are drawn to the creation 
and we will put the weight of our joy on creation, which can't bear it. So what happens is we wind up completely unfulfilled and, and frustrated. And I wanna, I'm going to use two words today that, that kind of pop into our vernacular as misdefined, and frustrated is one of them. When I say frustrated, it, a, lot of a, a lot of times what you hear is just angry. But what, it, what frustrated really is is a, an unfulfilled purpose, right? It's like trying to do a job with a tool that, that was not designed for that job. You get frustrated because it just doesn't work, all right? So this idea of placing the responsibility for our joy and for our happiness on the created leads to frustration because the created can't handle it, all right? I want to give, give an, an illustration, sort of uh, a good example of how this exists in our culture. I've, uh, I've counseled with uh, a lot of young people who, who have just gotten married, all right? They spend like the year of their, their last year of their engagement, and they're, they're just so in love with each other, they're so excited, they can't wait to get married because all their problems that they, they exist right now with relationships and where to live and, and money and all those things are going to be solved once they get married. You guys been there before? Yeah, I think so, all right? And so then they get married and, and all of those things do change. There, there are, there's, it's very true that a lot of difficulties that come to a relationship are changed when you get to live together, when you get to stay under the same roof, and, you, and then money becomes maybe less of an issue. And, and so you begin to, to think, wow, this is great. This is fantastic. But there comes a time, sometimes it's, it's immediate, sometimes it's within the next the first six months or a year, whatever. There comes a time when you realize that your spouse can't live up to your expectation for them. And then you cast that frustration wait a second, this marriage was supposed to bring me complete joy and complete happiness. But what it's bringing me is frustration because he won't put the seat down or because she won't do this. Or, or, and, and there's these difficulties, these hardships that arise because we cast the responsibility for our joy and for our happiness onto our spouse or onto the created but what's happening here is exactly that. This is the root and the heart of sin is pushing the responsibility for our joy onto the created. And, and we're going to get in the rest of Romans 1 what happens when we do that and, and how the world begins to break down and, and fractures happen. Uh, so when we also, also when we do this, we wind up with perverting creation. Okay? Perversion is, is another word that I wanted to find that we can misapply. We think it only applies in a sexual sense. He's a, he's a pervert. But there's, there's more to it than that. This perverted is misapplying a truth. The fact of the matter is that God gave us creation to engage and bring pleasure to us and to engage him and to ultimately trace the goodness of him back to creation. But what happens is we pervert creation. We pervert food and gluttony happens. We pervert relationships and brokenness happens. We pervert sex 
and adultery and homosexuality and lust happens. We misapply the truth. Skip down to, to verse 26. Uh, here's where I need you to pay very careful attention. Please don't miss here. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. I don't want to be misheard here. What's spoken here, I don't want to be misheard by either side of the fence. What's spoken here is that homosexuality is, con- is by God considered to be sin. Okay? Very specific. No confusion. I hope this is among the 50% that you hear and the 10% of that 50 that you walk out of here with. Homosexuality is considered by God to be sin. Let's go back and read this again. For this reason, God gave them up. I'm sorry. Yeah, for this reason, God gave them up the honorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations with those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women God placed desire in us to crave the female and were consumed with passions for one another, committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Look at the the words, the phrases that are spoken here in verses 26 and 27. First, they dishonored their bodies. There was dishonorable passion. There are unnatural relations. There are shameless acts and receiving due penalty for their error. Okay? I don't want there to be confusion here. All right? Please don't let there be any confusion here on either side of the fence. I get issue with people saying you don't go hard enough, an issue with people who are saying you go too hard. This is, I am quoting to you here what Romans 1 says, Paul's words given to him by God. All right, but then verse 28. Let's, let's look at verse 28 because it, it, it kind of forms the hinge of what Paul is getting at here. All right? And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. In other words, if you don't look to me for your joy, God speaking, if you don't look to me for your joy, here's what's going to happen to you. Good luck with finding your joy in creation. Here's the result of you trying to find your joy in creation. Good luck with that. Let's read verse 28 again and understand that this is a hinge from God's talking about the unnatural relations, the sins that he's talking about, and this is the hinge that this is what happens to you when you do this. And God did not, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. These are the consequences of a world that's placed the responsibility for their joy on the creation rather than the creator. Uh, Some of you guys may, may know of this. There was 
back in the, in the 50s, the, the New York Times sent out a question, one question to a bunch of, of thinkers throughout America, okay? And, and not just America, the world. Like, not just Christians, some Christian thinkers, some atheist thinkers, just some intellectuals, they sent this one question. Dear sirs, what's wrong with the world? That was the question, and they wanted them to respond with an essay. And they were going to print it in the New York Times. This happened in the 50s. G.K. Chesterton was a Catholic thinker and, and uh, kind of theologian speaker for the culture in, at this time. He wrote this. Dear sirs, I am. Thank you, G.K. Chesterton. This is what I want us to know and hear. It's very simple. We want to cast stones at people. But ultimately, what's wrong with the world is the sin that resides in every one of us. Point your mind back to the foreshadowing from the beginning of this message. The point is not anything other than God's grace leading us, his kindness, his patience, his forbearance, leading us to transformation. The sermon is not about homosexuality. The sermon is not about sexuality. The sermon is about a holy God who has labored and suffered to transform who we are. Skip down to Romans 29 through 31. These are not the results of the particular sin of homosexuality. These are instead the results of the overarching core sin of seeking the creator, or the created, more than a creator. I stumble on that. Let me say that again. These are the results not just of the sin of homosexuality. These are the results of the sin, the overarching core sin of seeking the created rather than the creator. Don't be mistaken. Verse 29. They were filled with all manner of right unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. By the way, I always parenthetically insert this here. I, I, I want to... Gossip is something... If, if I were to... Let me just start over. This idea of, if we were to put homosexuality and, goth, and gossip up, nobody's ever asked me for my position to write a position paper or to put a, a, a thought about North Church's stance on gossiping. Nobody's ever asked me that. People have asked me, what's your stance? What's, what's North Church's stance on homosexuality, on gay marriage? And, and we see gossip showing up here in the midst of, of strife, evil, murder, all of these awful, wretched things that we think of immediately as that. Yet we are, and the church is deeply, frequently guilty of this. Let's go back to our list. There are 17 of these here. This is, a lot of times this stuff happens in Scripture with five or six things. There are 17 things that are listed here. 
They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. Did you see that gossip and haters of God show up in the same list? Insolent, haughty, boastful. Look at this one. This one's kind of exploded into my brain today. Inventors of evil. And again, this is talking about those who chase after the created instead of the creator. That's the point of this list. Among them are, is homosexuality, but also among them are so many other things. Exchanging the creator for the created. Inventors of evil. Disobedient to their parents. Foolish. Faithless. Heartless. Ruthless. He's defining our world. Verse 32. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Do you see that? You gossip, you deserve to die. You disobey your parents, you deserve to die. Stop throwing stones at sin that give us phobia. Here's what I would love to happen. We would begin to exchange our homophobia for homartophobia. What? Homartophobia is fear of sin. That when we encounter sin, it would give us such a queasy feeling in our, in our guts. We would exchange our, the church would exchange its homophobia for homartophobia. That we would do that. Again, don't misunderstand me. Don't mishear me. I, I said it as clearly as I know, and I was redundant with it. This scripture teaches us homosexuality is sin, but it also teaches us that gossip is sin. And we talked about last week, the most frequently used word for homosexuality in scripture is porneia, which is a catch-all for sexual sin. Lust is porneia. Adultery is porneia. Sex with animals is porneia. Sex with the same sex is porneia. It's all the same in the view of God. The same, not just sin, but the same specific sin. When you commit adultery, you commit porneia. When you commit homosexuality, you commit porneia. Greek word. Go back to verse 32. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only claim to do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And this is where I wish chapter 2 was just really an extension of chapter 1. I wish chapter 2, verse 1 was Romans one thirty-three, Because we can break it off there. And there's, there's more here. There, these are difficult words and this chapter break is in a very difficult spot. Let's go to Romans 2. Therefore, because of those things, because you find yourself on that list, 
You have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. I wish we had the level of homartophobia as we have of homophobia. You have no excuse, O man, because every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. It rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you suppose that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you? And then verse 4, the beautiful verse 4. And, and we're going to see the beauty of it on its surface, and then we're going to dig a little bit deeper and allow it to cut us. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, transformation? A cursory view of this, of this scripture brings us to this place. God's kindness is meant to transform us. That's a cursory view. But the depth of it, the thing that cuts to the heart of who we are, appears before that. And in the context of all of this, do you presume the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience. In other words, do you take that for granted? Do you think, God, you are a patient God? Do you rightly think that, God, you are a patient God, God, you are a forbearing God, and God, you are a kind God? Do you know those things of God, and did that, does that knowledge allow you to go and do whatever the heck you want to do? No! The kindness of God is not about your ticket to heaven alone. It's about that, but it's also about the transformation of your heart and of your life. And the church that we find ourselves in, we are in a slippery, dangerous slope here. In love with the grace of God that's given us what it's rightfully given us, a place in heaven that's eternal and secure and a hope that can't perish, spoil, or fade. That's truth. But it's part of the truth. The whole truth is the gospel is not meant to give us a ticket to heaven. The gospel is meant to change and transform who we are today, in this second, in this instant. And when we fail to recognize that, we cast ourselves in the same judgment that we want to cast the homosexuals in. We've seen the truth, we've known the truth, and it has partially transformed us. That's really dangerous. The ESV study Bible about this verse says this. Do you presume it's probably directed against the Jews who thought that their covenant relationship with God would shield them from final judgment? Who thought their religious activity or their last name or the tribe that they belonged to or the fact that they were from a nation called Israel. We can parenthetically insert the American church. 
We thought our connection, our membership in the American church brings us shield from the final judgment of God. After all, they had often experienced this kindness and forbearance and patience. In other words, they had engaged the kindness and forbearance and patience of God. A, a three-statement phrase, kindness, forbearance, patience, that really kind of just says grace. Have you experienced the grace of God? Not rhetorical. Yes. This is a danger for us that have experienced the grace of God. They thought such blessings showed that they were right with God and had no need to trust, to have faith, to give, to surrender to Christ. But Paul says the opposite is true. God's blessings, our engagement of the grace of God, ought to lead us to repentance. And this is where I get so frustrated with the, the fourth grade definition of repentance. We were taught from, with, in VBS about what repentance was, is that we're walking this way and then we change, we change our behavior and start walking that way. That is such a feeble definition of repentance. The depth of repentance is we have so engaged a holy and beautiful and grace-filled God that it changes who we are. It changes who we are, not you. This message today, the grace of God, is not about your ability to change. It's not about your ability to modify your behavior. But instead, we have so engaged with the grace of God that it changes the very essence of the way we think and act. And if that's not true of you, seek God today. Here's the thing that it's, 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 it's brought us frustration. The, the elders and some of the leaders have talked a lot about what happens here on a Sunday morning. From, from 10 o'clock to 11.15, what's going on here? And it's become, I don't know, redundant maybe? I, don't, we, we, I can't really lay my hands on it. We've been praying for about two weeks for the freshness of God to come upon us. And in the second, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing songs. We're going to take communion. We're going to, Mike and Rachel will stand in the back, but nobody will go back there. And, and all these things are, are true of, of, what, of what happens here. But the fact of the matter is, if we really engage, if we fully engage with what's just been laid out to us, it's got to change us. Do you, I'm, I'm, I'm really fearful that I get in this mode a lot and, and you begin to just kind of chuckle, oh, Rick is being Rick. Please don't, here and now. It's way too important. Because God wants to change your heart and then he wants to make you a missionary to a culture that desperately needs a changed heart. Please don't allow today. Please don't allow Romans 2.4 to be something that puts a smile on your face or makes you want to nod, makes you even want to jot something down in your journal, makes you want to tweet it or something. Please don't allow it to only be that. Engage what God is speaking to the depth of your soul. 
and beg of him to grant you the repentance that leads to life. Too important. Because ultimately what verse 4 of Romans 2 is saying to us is what you deserve is the judgment of God, but what you get in his kindness that leads to repentance. What you deserve is the judgment of God. You deserve to die. But what you get is his patience, his gentleness, his kindness, his forbearance, his grace that leads to an essence change, a transformation of who you are. Grace is meant to transform you. Grace is meant to transform you. The gospel is meant to transform you. Transform Change the form. Change the makeup. Let's pray. And my heart's prayer right now is that you would, when I say amen and Jeff and Megan come and start to lead us, that you wouldn't stop praying. That you would continue to engage God with what this beautiful truth is trying to explode into your heart. Let's pray, and I'm going to get out of the way and let God move. Father, we thank you for your grace. Oh God, would your grace change us? Would your grace transform us? God, would we cease striving, hungering, thirsting after the creation, but instead strive and hunger and thirst after you, God. God, expose areas where we fail. Expose them to our hearts. And then would you supernaturally Expose us to your grace in such a way that transforms us. God, we thank you. I stand before you, a weak and broken man. God, I ask for you now to change us. In this moment, would you change us? Would you cause us to cry out to you? God, would you give us freedom to respond in any way that you're calling us to? Thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen.